It is so wonderful to be with you and to worship God together. This is the most important time of our worship. This is the time where we crack open the Word of God and then God cracks open our hearts. He pours the water of the Word of God onto our dry hearts and they begin to flourish and bear fruit and become soft. And so if you're here for the very first time, you're a guest, you might not be a Christian, that's okay. We welcome non-Christians in here. You may be a Christian that has lapsed, it's been years since you've been to church. You may be a Christian that right now particularly is not interested in God, you're wondering, why am I here? I don't know, but God does, and God has a message for you this morning, and that message is from the book of John. So if you have a Bible, please open it to John chapter 11. Our practice is also to show you the scriptures as I read them, so if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. But we would love for you to have one. So if you need one, raise your hand. And then it would be great if you had a copy of the notes. So John chapter 11 is where we're going. So as you open your Bibles to John chapter 11, you will notice that that scripture teaches us about a wonderful historical account of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, a man who lived in history who performed a sign, a miracle, a wondrous sign, a wondrous miracle. He actually raised someone from the dead. He raised someone from the dead. And I just want to tell you this morning that this text about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead is actually the seventh of six signs that comprise the first 12 chapters of the book of John. In fact, the first 12 chapters of the book of John really are called the, the, it's the book of signs, those first 12 chapters. And this is the seventh one. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the reality to which all of the previous six signs have pointed. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the reality to which all of the six previous signs have pointed. And so you can understand that this seventh sign is the last sign for two reasons. Number one, it, like no other sign, will really point to the resurrection of Jesus because another individual is going to be raised from the dead. But number two, this sign occurs right at the beginning, right as Passover. The Passover where Jesus will be offered as a sacrifice for your sins and mine will die on a cross and three days later rise again. So everything in the book of John has been hurtling through history and through the three years of Jesus' ministry. And it's been hurtling down the quarters of time. And now we arrive at a little town called Bethany, just two miles outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus Christ raising Lazarus from the dead. But I tell you this morning, the most important resurrection from the dead in this text isn't Lazarus. Although, you'd have a hard time convincing Lazarus of that. But ultimately, he would agree with you because the most important resurrection from the dead that this narrative talks about is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And without that resurrection, my friend, though Lazarus may have had life for a couple of years more, he would have had death eternally because he would have died in his sins and so would have you so would I. Jesus 
here in this sign is pointing to the fact that he is the Lord over sin and death. He is pointing to his indestructible life that becomes the basis for our hope. And so you can read in your notes the theme, I believe, God's burden, I believe, for you from this passage is this. Believe in the resurrection power of Christ and live for God's glory. Believe in the resurrection power of Christ and live for God's glory. So my question this morning to you is, do you believe? Let's pray. Lord, I pray for my, myself as I ask that question. Do I believe? Lord, I pray for my friends that are listening to me who are Christians. But Lord, at times we forget. Lord, we're like your disciples. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I pray for those that are listening to me right now who aren't Christians, who have never believed. They disbelieve. Lord, I pray you'd be merciful to them and give them faith and give me utterance that I might preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now listen, I know it can be difficult to believe and practically apply the resurrection power of Jesus into our lives today. I'm well aware of your world because it's my world. It's a world of, filled with death and disappointment and delay or just mind-numbing drudgery. I know that many of us fight. We fight feelings of being disenchanted. I know some of you fight serious feelings of depression because we live in a fallen world and sin affects us that way. Either we sin against others or others sin against us. We see it all around us. So when there's a message that says, hope in the resurrection of Jesus, we say, how can I believe in hope in the resurrection of Jesus when all I see is death? You heard this morning about our dear friend Mario Cuellar Garcia. His father, who's also named Mario, passed away last Wednesday in Las Vegas, Nevada. And we grieve with the Cuellar Garcia family. I had a chance to speak tomorrow just a few days ago. And he communicated to me how grateful he was to God. That God allowed him to be with his daddy for 45 minutes before his daddy passed away. And that not only that, but some weeks ago, after Mario came back from one of our youth mission trips, he took his daughter with him. Uh, Marcia, and they went to the Dominican Republic and he shared the gospel using a little track that we've been learning how to use recently called How Good Are You? After he did that in the Dominican Republic in Spanish, went door to door, he said, Lord, I have faith to call my dad and share with him. Now, Mario's Cuban and his dad would be one of these hardcore Cuban guys. Don't talk to me about this. In fact, in years past, Mario would try to share with his father. His father would just yell at him and say, shut up. But several weeks ago, he called his daddy and he said, Dad, I've got some really good news. Can I share it? And his daddy said, yeah. And Mario opened up that and he shared the gospel. So what am I saying here? Mario, right now, is experiencing hope because he believes, and I agree with him, that God the Father had mercy on his daddy right before his death. And his hope in the face of death, which hurts, is that his daddy is in the presence of God and that one day God will resurrect Mario's dad and Mario and they'll see each other again with resurrected bodies in glory. So in the face of death, there's hope. He believes and it leads to a life 
that glorifies God. Now, for the rest of us, maybe we don't confront death like that. Maybe for you, as it is for me, the death that we confront isn't physical. It's the death to dreams. The death to relationships. It's more of an emotional, a mental, a spiritual death. Silly illustration. Hopefully it'll, it'll, it'll grab you and draw you into this message so you understand how much you need this. Every bit as much as a man like Mario who's experiencing physical death. Just the death to what you want. As you, many of you know, recently, I, my wife and I embarked on a major uh, renovation of our home. We added some square footage. We added a beautiful upstairs balcony. Nice place to sit at night and relax. We added a screened-in porch area. And just about two weeks ago, I was going into the screened-in porch area and sat down in this big easy chair in my kingdom. (laughs) Had a nice cold beverage. It was quiet. Had the fans on slightly. I was thinking, boy, this is like the Garden of Eden. Al walking in the cool of the night. Peaceful. Then out of nowhere came this sound. It sounded like the screechings of demons from Hades. I was like, what is that? I jumped up, ran upstairs and looked off my balcony and I looked at our back neighbors right in the back of us. They had just purchased a little dog about that big. And it was trying to get into the house. They have a, a, a glass sliding door and the people wouldn't let him in. And this dog is... I mean, I cannot describe how demonic and irritating this bark is. It would be like you taking your nails and going in on a chalkboard. So, you know, I walked back downstairs. I sat in my chair and I just started laughing. I said, Lord, listen, Lord, things are not the way I want them to be. Okay? And maybe even things aren't the way they should be. But I want to live for your glory. And I know it sounds silly, but the way I'm going to navigate this, and we're right just at the beginning of it, okay? <laughs> is going to say a lot about whether I reflect the glory of God to my neighbor. Every bit as much as how Mario navigated the death of his father. And right now he's flying back from Nevada. They're flying the body back tonight or tomorrow. And then they're going to have Thursday or Friday, they're going to have a service for his daddy. He's going to be buried here in Miami. So Mario's navigating serious death issues. I'm navigating, you might think, silly death issues. Death to my desire for peace. You might be navigating death of a dream. Maybe some of you parents, death to your desire for your child to be spiritual and godly. And they're not. And you're grieving. You might be, you might be navigating death to your desire for financial security. You see where I'm going with this? The message this morning is saying, believe in the resurrection power of Christ. May that hope for a future that is better than now help me deal with an irritating little dog bark in my backyard. But how I deal with that is going to help me deal with when I experience something far greater. Maybe the death of a loved one. Can I trust God? Can I believe there's something better to come and I don't have to demand what I want now? That's what this message is about. And I pray that it grab your heart and pull you in. That is God's burden for you this morning. That the the hope of Jesus Christ and His resurrection and His promise that one one day things will be as they should be. 
sustains you today when things aren't the way they should be. Yet. Get glimpses of it, but not yet. And will enable you to live for the glory of God and not just for what you want. So that I don't get angry with my neighbor and yell at him. And say, you know what? Why don't you get the stupid dog inside the house? Because I don't want to hear him. That would be wrong. That's living for Al's glory. But say, Lord, thank you. Let this remind me that the paradise I seek isn't in my back porch area now. It's with you in eternity. I get glimpses of paradise now. We live in Miami. It's paradise. You know what? Paradise gets messed up, doesn't it? By people. Yeah, okay. Don't look at me so religiously. (laughs) But you know what? That day, that paradise will never get messed up. That's the paradise I want to live for. And that's the paradise you should live for. That's called living for the glory of God. So may we see how the resurrection of a dead man named Lazarus points us to a greater work. The resurrection of a man who's very much alive, Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man, at the right hand of the Father. And may the hope in that resurrection enable us to live today for God's glory in a world filled with death, disappointment, and delays. God's about to speak to us through his word, my friends. Let us listen carefully. John 11, verse 1. If you're following in your notes, this is the area where we're going to start talking about believe in the resurrection power of Christ. John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified. So we see here in verses 1 to 4 that Lazarus is very sick. He's a good friend of Jesus And they call for Jesus to come and heal him. But the key point is this, what Jesus says in verse 4. This illness is designed for the glory of God and so that the Son of God may be glorified. So in your notes, under the first point, believe in the resurrection power of Christ. Here's the first point. Our trials are designed to reveal God's glory. Our trials are designed to reveal God's glory. When you see your trials that way, then God sanctifies your trials for His glory and not just so you get what you want. And the death and resurrection of Jesus secures this truth. Do you believe it? Just as Lazarus' sickness brought glory to God eventually, so our trials are meant to bring glory to God now. The question is, are you more interested in getting through the trial and getting what you want, or are you more interested in bringing glory to God? Trials are often windows for the glory of God to shine through our lives. I know this is silly, but this is like a a case study. So what I've been been praying about, how do I talk to my neighbor? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go, I'm going to bless them. Because I have talked to them before. I've invited them to church. And just recently, he cut down a major tree shrub that was over both of our fences. So I'm going to bless them, maybe make them something, whatever. Say, hey, thanks for cutting down the tree. 
not going to talk to him about his dog at all. Not at all. You know what, you know what else is funny? You know what the Lord really did speak to me? Not audibly. Hey, hey Pino, the barking dog, instead of having it irritate you because it's puncturing your little paradise that you're trying to create, how about if the dark bark, barking dog is my reminder, you really haven't prayed for them in years. They've been my neighbors for 10 years. When we first got there, we invited them to the church. I hadn't prayed for them. So maybe the barking dog is meant to interrupt my paradise because I ain't, God doesn't want me to have paradise quite yet. Get up off the easy chair and go pray and talk to him. Oh, God's glory, not mine. Hmm. Novel approach here to this trial. Now I realize that's, I realize that's a small thing. But if you think about it, if you take that principle, that's a big thing. Do I live for me or do I live for God? Now, in our church, we have many people that we're aware of that have done this, don't we? We have people that publicly have done this. The George family. If you're a guest, the George family have four children. And one of their children uh, was diagnosed with cancer a year ago. Serious cancer. Lymphoma wrapped around spinal cord. And we've watched them bring glory to God through this trial. But you know what? Probably most of you aren't aware of Mallory Aviles. She might be thinking, Al, I wish you would have kept it that way. (laughs) I did ask her if I could share this. And without going into details, Mallory, who's a young woman in our church, godly woman, I know of a series of trials and delays that she's gone through in her life, but she has quietly, without anybody knowing, trusted the Lord. And that trust has been a window to reflect God's glory to the people around her. So I'd say thanks, Mallory. Every bit as much as thanks, George family. God chooses whether your trial becomes public. Mario's trial, very public. Some of you today are going through trials. I'll never know. I'll never know. But God knows. Thank you for going through it and sanctifying those trials as a place to bring glory to God. Now, look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. John 11.5, picking up the narrative. Very interesting point here. John 11.5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not on him. Verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. This is so humorous. The disciples said to him, Hey, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Like, he'll wake up by himself. Now Jesus, verse 13, had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was just taking rest and sleep. So verse 14, Jesus says, he told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Now catch verse 15. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, hey, let's also go that we may die with him. Love these guys. I can relate to them well. Now here's something we find in verses 5 to 13, particularly, that are very, very important. In verse 5, we learn this. Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus very much. But then in verse 6, it says this. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days where he was. 
Isn't that odd? If you call me and say, one of you ladies say, my husband is very, very ill. And I say, oh, man, I love this couple so much. I think I'll just sit here and wait for two days. <laughs> what kind of love is that, Jesus? Well, here's what kind of love that is. It's the kind of love that sees trials or delays as a way to grow our faith. In your notes, every trial or delay is designed to grow our faith. Jesus' resurrection from the dead secures that truth. Do you believe it? Jesus knew that he would raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew that the power of sickness in Lazarus was a manifestation of the fall and that he would take final authority over it. He knew that he would dethrone the God of this world, little g, on his way to raising Lazarus from the dead. But what he wanted, what God's agenda was, was to grow the disciples' faith. Do you see that? Look at verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake... See, God's agenda wasn't yet to heal Lazarus. His agenda was to let him die. Because his agenda was the faith of the disciples to grow. Oftentimes, his agenda isn't just to make you happy. But his agenda is so that your faith would grow. And you're going, I don't want your agenda, Lord. And then he said, well, then don't say Lord at the end. Just say, I don't want your agenda. Because you're your own God. So we've got to ask ourselves, if something is delayed in your life right now, just stop and say, Lord, what's your agenda? What's your agenda? What is your agenda? So what is it? Where right now in your life are you experiencing a delay to something you really would want deeply? Where are you experiencing a delay to something you think that you can't live without? It's at that place that God wants to do two things. Number one, He wants to grow your faith that though you're not getting what you think you can't live without, God loves you and is good and is kind and He's growing your faith. And number two, God is using the delay to highlight something that may for you right now be a false god. What the Bible calls an idol. You see, here's the deal. Anything in your life that you think you have to have and that you think will give you real life and without it, you're just going to die, that thing for you has become God. And God loves you so much that He won't let you continue bowing your knee to that idol. Because His agenda for you, and you can write this down, is primarily for your holiness. Not your happiness. Primarily for your holiness, not your happiness. So here's the deal. You can serve the God of the Bible who is holy and agree with Him in His process. Or you can serve the God, little g, of your own mind of happiness. But oftentimes in this fallen world, you can't serve them both. Or you'll love the one and hate the other. That person, that thing that you think you've got to have, that pleasure that you've got to have right now, that's a false God. God wants to expose it, and God wants you to trust Him and believe that He is all that you need. My friend, 
There are times in this world where you've got to make a decision. Would I rather be holy or happy? Now listen, God gives us joy. I'm a happy, I laugh a lot, okay? But there are times where you've got to make a decision. Would I rather be holy or happy? And Jesus is saying, choose holy, my friend. Because ultimately, I've got happiness for you for eternity. Choose holiness. Choose holiness. I'm growing your faith. Look at verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And listen to what Martha says to Jesus. This is amazing, friends. Here is a woman who asked Jesus to come. He purposely delays two days and his, her brother dies. You would think she'd be bitter. You'd think she'd be like a lot of us. Where were you, Lord? What were you doing? You didn't come when I said come. He's dead. She didn't say that. Listen to what she says. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Oh, guys, what a confession of faith. Jesus, you're the difference maker. And I know if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. But listen, you're here now, and I know whatever you ask God the Father, he'll give you. This is a woman of faith. This is what I want to be. God, it, it died. The vision, the dream, the relationship, my hopes, they're dead. They're dead. They're in the tomb. It's been four days. They probably stink by now. But you know what? You're here, and I worship you. Anything you ask of the Father, he'll give you. That's a mature faith. That's where God's going with this. And then look what Jesus says to her, verse 23. Your brother will rise again. And Martha, verse 24, being a good Jew, a, a pious woman, says, well, of course, I know that he will rise again on the resurrection on the last day. Every good Jew that wasn't a Sadducee, but she probably was of the, the Pharisaical line, or you know, that's where she kind of hung out with. There's a resurrection, Jesus, and I know one day he's going to rise. And then Jesus says to her, and these are the key, this is the key section of this passage. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked her, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. God who is coming into the world. Jesus interacts with Martha and he reveals himself as the resurrection and the life. Look at verse 25 and 26 again. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So what is he saying here? What does this mean? Here's what it means. It means that one day, you will be given what's called a glorified body if you believe in Jesus as your Savior. It, mean, it means that one day you have the hope of living forever and ever with the Lord in a body that will never wear out, in a body that will live forever in a paradise, in a new heavens, in a new earth. It means that you've got that hope, you've got that, that, that dream that will never, ever end. 
That this world isn't what we live for, but we live for that new resurrection body. That's what it means. Listen, later on we're going to take a look at a situation where Jesus goes to the tomb and he says, open the tomb. Back then they buried rich people, and Lazarus was a rich person, in tombs that were cut out of rock above ground. And they would cut out the tomb, they would lay the guy in on this piece of rock they would cut out. Then they would close it with the door. They would wrap the body with a bunch of clothing and everything and they'd put a lot of spices around it because you know what? After about a day, the body stinks and rots. Take a piece of meat and put it out in your back porch. Don't touch it for a day or two. See what happens to it. It will stink. And one day, one day, your body will be in the ground stinking and rotting, and worms will be eating it. That's true. And if that's all that you have, I pity you. The Bible says if there is no resurrection, we're to be pitied. Because we're banking on the fact that one day our rotting flesh will be raised from that grave when Jesus comes back and we'll be given eternal life forever and ever with a glorified body. Don't know what it'll look like, but I know someone who has one. There is one model. It's in heaven right now. Jesus, raised from the dead, glorified body, seated at the right hand of the Father. And so what this verse means, Jesus says, just like I raised from the dead, you're going to raise from the dead if you believe me. And you're going to have a life, eternal life, with a body, a physical body that's new and renewed in a new heavens and a new earth physically and have great times. And you'll have that happiness you want to. And you know what? There may be little dogs, but they're not going to bark with shrill noise that irritates me. And by definition, there's no irritation in heaven. Even though I'll be there for some of you, there'll be no irritation in heaven. I'll be so changed, you won't recognize me. Wake up, church! That's what this means! So, so what that does for me is when little barky boy behind me starts doing his little demonic screams, I can just sit back and laugh and go, well, Lord, paradise isn't today, but it's coming. It's coming. The fact I don't have it now is going to make it be that much better then. Have you ever been mowing the lawn? Hot, sweaty, you're tired. Maybe right now you're a little hungry and you're thinking about the cold one, right? Isn't that a nice thought? When you're done, you turn off the lawnmower, you go inside, and there it is. In a far greater way, what Jesus is saying to Martha is, look, this is a bad deal. Your brother's dead. I so appreciate your faith. Yeah, one day he's going to rise from the dead, but you know what? I'm going to raise him right now to show you that I'm the resurrection life. You can trust me that there is a God and there is a resurrection, and you're going to experience it. Though you'll never die. Physically, but not spiritually. Your soul, listen, if you're a Christian, your soul goes right to heaven and is with the Father immediately. Bam! If I drop on my face right now and die of a massive heart attack, which a person that I met just a few months ago did, who was in far better shape than me, about my age, colonel in the army, who works with JD, he's a colonel here, he's not here this morning, but he's a colonel in the army over at FIU, one of the guys, Colonel Stauffer, 
two weeks ago, was running, tip-top shape, and he just stopped. And the first thing he hit was his nose. Bam. And I visited him last Sunday, and I just got news that he's not long for this world. Okay, so if that happens to me, all right, I will immediately, my soul will go immediately to be with Jesus. And you'll bury my body. You'll cry. But don't cry as ones without hope. It'll be sad. I, I would love to see grandchildren someday. No pressure, Vanessa and Fernando, but I'd love to see grandchildren someday. I don't think they're here. I think they're in the children's ministry. That's good. I'd love to see some of your children grow and, and serve the Lord. And you know what? They'll put my body in the grave. And it will, it will rot, guys. You would not be, want to be around my body at about a you know, death plus one day. It'll rot. It'll stink. One day it'll decompose. I'll just be bones. A skull and bones. But you know what? You know what my hope is? That when Jesus comes back, he's going to give me a resurrected body. So the fear of death is not there for me. I'm not saying I like it. I hate, I hate death. We're going to see in a moment, so does Jesus. But that's my hope. Is it yours? And that hope enables me to say to the barking dog, you know, bark away, man. One day I'll have paradise. Let me go, let me go love your, your, uh, your owners. Your duenos. You like that, huh? All right. Think a little bilingual. Love your owners and share the gospel with you. I hope that's helpful to you. Look at, look at Martha's response, amazing response, probably one of the most amazing confessions in all of Scripture. Look what she says in verse 27. He says at the end of verse 26, do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you know that Martha's confession is an exact, is, is an exact replicate of God's purpose in writing the book of John? Look at John, just scribble this down, John 20, 31. John 20, 31 says this, But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is what? The Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Martha believed and has life in His name. Do you believe this morning? If you do, you'll have life in His name. And more importantly, you will live for His glory. Look at verse 28. How can we believe in a, in a world that is difficult? How can we believe in a world where God's asking us to believe something we can't see? We see death all around us and disappointment. How can we believe? Let me tell you how you can believe. Because the Lord is with us and He's compassionate. Look at verse 28. When she, Martha, had said this, her famous confession, right up there with Peter's, you are the Lord, you are the Christ, the Son of God. She went and called her sister Mary. So she ran back and, and, and whispered in Mary's ear, the teacher is here and is calling you. And when she, Mary, heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village. He was still walking into the village of Bethany, but was still in the place where Martha had run out to meet him. Verse 31, when the Jews who were with her, Mary, in the house consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The exact same thing her sister said. What women of faith. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35, Jesus wept. 
So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man, which occurred in chapter 9, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? In verses 28 to 37, we don't just see a God who from on high says, believe in the resurrection and you and glorify me. No. We see a God who does command us to do that come down and take on the form of human flesh and he cries with his friends. He suffers with his friends. Listen to me. You can trust him. You can believe in him because he knows what you're going through. The Bible says that we have a high priest. That just means someone who represents us with God who's been tempted as we have. Jesus, God, man, came to live a life so he knows what you're suffering. When the Bible says he was tempted with everything that we are tempted, I'm not sure how that works out, but that means for sure he knows what you're going through. He's crying with you. He could have easily said, snap out of it, Mary. I'm going to raise your brother in just a, like a couple of minutes. Stop being a big baby. Or he could have done what some of us do. Preach some sanctimonious, self-righteous sermon to someone who's burying a loved one. Don't ever do that. Tell someone who's struggling with depression, just get it, snap out of it, will you? Don't you know that Jesus rose from the dead? Why are you worried, man? Matthew 6 says, don't worry about anything. You're sinning, you're worrying. That, that, that's, not, that's not how God treats us. God gets down with us and cries. When it says there that Jesus wept, do you know how that can be translated? Jesus burst into tears. We're not talking a little tear coming down his, his cheek. He wailed and burst into tears. Oh, friend, he, he's, your, he's your high priest who knows what you're going through and will go through it with you and actually suffered more than you ever did. So you can believe him. You can believe him. But, oh, I want to look at this, this next this next part, this next verse is excellent because there was a difference between Jesus weeping and the weeping of Martha and Mary. And here's the difference. Focus in on this phrase that we just read. Jesus was deeply moved. I want you to focus in on that, on that verse. Uh, it's actually in verse uh, 33. If you'll please show that again. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then flip over to verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved. Jesus deeply moved. Again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Take away the stone. I'm going to pause there for a moment. This Greek word that is translated deeply moved in our Bibles is a Greek word that is used elsewhere in extra biblical uses, in other words, outside of the Bible. And when it was used at this time, it meant the following the snorting of horses. And when applied to human emotion, it invariably speaks of anger. Now, Jesus never sinned. So this is a time where anger can enter the equation without sin. D.A. Carson, a trusted theologian and commentator, would suggest the following translation for he was deeply moved. He suggests the following. He was outraged in spirit. We see verse 39, and he says, 
take away the stone. He is visibly upset. Yes, he's crying, but now he's mad. He's angry at the outrage of sin and death. He understands. He knows that the penalty of sin is death. That's why he's here. To pay the penalty. To die for you and for me. But he hates it. He's going to defeat it. God's wrath is His steady, continual opposition to sin and evil and death. And that's what we see a picture of right here. We see the Lamb of God walking up on death and hating it. And hating the one behind it. Satan. And saying, this ought not to be. And I'm going to change it now. And as I change it now... It's going to be a picture of me changing it permanently then, probably about a week or so later, when I die on the cross. The tears of compassion for Mary, he says, Mary, step back. Turn into resolve and anger. He's going to go kick some serious at the tomb. Bruce Milne describes it this way. Another respected theologian commentator. Arriving at the tomb, Jesus again visibly swept by the tempest of anger commands its opening. Get that rock off there. Let me at him. John Calvin, trusted commentator, describes it as follows. Jesus advances to the tomb as a champion who prepares for combat and for battle because he's foreshadowing the battle that will take place about a week or so in the future when he's hanging on the cross and he's receiving the wrath of God and he's dying the sin, the death that you and I deserve and he's defeating sin and death and Satan and three days later when he rises from the dead and his combat is done. It is finished. Champion has won. Picture of that defeat in Lazarus' resurrection Defeat completed in Jesus' death and resurrection. Do you believe it, friends? If you do, it will enable you to live for God's glory. It will enable you to live for God's glory in this fallen earth. Listen, quickly, as we read the rest of this uh, section here, verse 39. And Jesus said, John eleven thirty-nine. 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Hey, Lord, uh, he's been in there about four days. I think it's going to stink. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, Oh, dear Martha, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Listen, I know your problems and trials stink. And we all stink. And we've got the stench of death on us. But if we believe, he will raise us from the dead, spiritually, metaphorically, and one day physically, and we won't stink. And you can roll away the, the stone and no amount of herbs or no amount of spices that they put on a body would cover that stench after four days. But the blood of Jesus covers that stench. That's good news. That's good news. Jesus said, verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Verse 41, So they took away the stone and Jesus looked up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you all hear me. Jesus is our intercessor even now in the heavens. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His hands and his feet bound, strips around his head, and he just bounded out like this. <laughs> what? 
No way! Can you imagine Martha and Mary going, Who is that? Who is that masked man? He, and then Jesus, he just commands everybody, stunned. I mean, can you imagine? He's just standing there. And everybody's just like doing nothing. Like. And so Jesus has to tell him what to do. He says, unbind him at the end of verse 44 and let him go. Let him go. Let him go. In your notes, my friends, under point two, live for God's glory. Our hope in a future bodily resurrection enables us to live for God's glory now. My hope that that picture of what he did with Lazarus is a picture of what he's going to do with my dead, rotting body one day. That is my hope. That is the power for me to live for God's glory today. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what I'm suffering, the practical application of this truth, dear friends, in our everyday lives, on, at home, in the church, on the job, in your neighborhood, with barking dogs in the backyard, with burying your father next week, wherever. The practical application of this is our hope. And not only do we have a hope of a personal bodily resurrection, but listen, we've got a hope that he's going to restore all of this. That's what Romans says when creation itself groans and waits for the resurrection, for Christ to come back. We're going to live in paradise, man. That's my hope. That's your hope if you're wrestling with depression. That's your hope if you're wrestling with anger, if you're wrestling with disappointment or death of a dream. Final, final point here in your notes when we live for God's glory and that's what's happening here we must die to our independence but what we gain is the indestructible life of Christ we've got to die to me wanting to create my paradise on my terms right now we we would create a Christless paradise if we could God says I'm not going to let you do that So we've got to die to our own independence. But what we gain is indestructible life in in Christ. Listen, Jesus' glory is what we share. And Jesus' glory enables me to live for the glory of God. I can't live for the glory of God on my own. It's Jesus' glory that enables me to do that. And I have to die to me to live to Him. Jot down three scriptures. Romans 6.11 we are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Romans 6, 11. You can look at it later. And then the next two we're going to look at briefly. John 12, later in this book, 23 through 26. And I'm going to read it for you. John 12, 23 through 26. Listen to what Jesus says. John 12, 23 to 26. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be what? Glorified. So we're talking about glory, living for God's glory. But to live for God's glory, you you must first experience God's glory. You want to experience God's glory? Then you enter into the death of Christ. That's what he's saying here. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into your earth and dies, that's him, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's us. Did you catch that? Grain of wheat dies, Jesus. If it doesn't die, it's alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's us. He's the first fruits of those being resurrected to glorified body, we will follow him. He's the down payment that I trust. It's secure because he raised from the dead. He died for my sin. He rose for the forgiveness of my sin. And it's guaranteed by God the Father. 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Don't you see? 
Jesus is saying, live for the life to come, not this world. He doesn't mean literally hate it, but in comparison, hate it. Love that world more than you love this world. Do you? If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And boy, the next one, write this down. Mark 8, Mark 8, 34 to 36. Mark 8, 34 to 36. Mark 8, 34 to 36. Jesus is laying it down for his disciples. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, by the way, right after this, he had a, a reverse revival. You know what those are, right? That's when you go from 1,000 to 300, okay? <laughs> those are biblical, by the way. Those are very biblical. Very biblical. Gideon had one of those bad boys, too, you know? Right before he went into battle. Lost all his all-stars, you know, all his all-American backfield, gone. And God won the victory. But listen to this. In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, you want to come after me? Yeah, Jesus. Let him deny himself. What? And take up his cross. What? Be back then, the cross was horrific. Take up your electric chair. Take up your, you know, lethal injection in prison. Are you crazy, Jesus? Take up your cross and follow me. Now look at 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. If you persist in saving your life and your independence and try to get God to bless your deal, it ain't going to happen. You're going to lose it all. You're going to lose it all. You're going to lose it all. Verse 36. 35. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. 36. For what does it profit a man? What does it profit you to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? All right, so here's where I want to end this. Here's where I want to end this. The reason I can preach this with hope is not because I can perform to this level, nor can you. The reason I can preach this with hope for you and me is that Jesus is our champion who defeated sin and death, who rose from the dead, who lives now at the right hand of the Father in a resurrected body. So I want you to look to Jesus. Do you see that? I want you to peer at His glory. His glory is on the cross. That's what John 12 teaches us. I'm about to be glorified. He's speaking of His death on the cross, His resurrection from the so let's bow our heads to pray. Worship team, come up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to peer again at the cross. Lord, thank you for the grace that you give us to put feet to our faith. Lord, I want to believe in the resurrection power that you displayed here. Lord, I want to believe that you rose from the dead, that you are the resurrection and the life, so that I can live a life that glorifies you. But Lord, I'm weak, and I doubt a lot. And my eyes get tilted from looking up at your glory to looking down at the lack of glory on this earth, or false glory, false lights, false gods. Lord, forgive me for trying to build my own paradise here independent of you. Just as, as everybody's heads bowed, this is a, really is a holy moment, folks. God really is addressing you. If you don't know the freedom of trusting Christ for all of this, whether you're a believer and you've never known it, may God soften your heart. Or perhaps you're an, excuse me, an unbeliever and have never known it, may God soften your heart. Or perhaps you're a believer and you've forgotten it. And for you it's all about performance.
Oh, friend, know this. Only our champion could defeat sin and death. Only Jesus hung on that cross to die, to pay the punishment for your sin and mine. And only Jesus rose from the dead and has a glorified body. Nobody. Lazarus did raise from the dead, but he doesn't have a glorified body yet. He's back in the grave somewhere. He will rise one day. But only Jesus has the glorified body, so trust him. He did what you and I could not do. Now listen to this carefully. When Lazarus was in the tomb, Jesus called him. Think about this. With your eyes closed, just think about it for a moment. Really concentrate on this thought. A man who's dead. I don't know where his soul was. Doesn't matter. God did. And from death, he hears the voice. Lazarus. And he obeys the voice. And he comes out of the tomb. This is what Jesus said in John 10, 3. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Would you hear God's voice? Would you hear Christ's voice through the pages of scripture? Stop trying to please God on your own and follow Jesus to the cross where he hung for you, to the grave where he rose for you and hear him call you out of the death. If you're a Christian of your own self-works, out of the death of dreams maybe that have died, relationships, and into the life, into the light of the life of Christ. And if you're not a Christian, I pray, I pray right now in Jesus' name that your dead heart would hear Christ's voice perhaps for the first time for reals and respond and follow him and live for him and not yourself. Now I want to, I want to display verse 2 of Out of the Depths, if you would look this way. Because I believe verse 2 of this song captures what we're talking about here. We're going to sing just this one verse in the chorus, and then we're going to end with one other song. But this is what verse 2 of Out of the Depth says. In every trial and loss, my hope is in the cross where your compassions never fail. Let's stand, sing that verse 2 in the chorus, and then we'll kick into the last song.